Hovering over the skies of a post-Christian society, we have spotted a man with a donut in one hand oh. and rosary beads in another. Child, I'm about to whoop Satan's behind. He is boldly proclaiming truth and reason like no rigid Catholic ever has before. The David L. Gray Show begins now. Welcome in to the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. And we begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, my Jesus, forgive us of our sins, save us from the fires of hell, and lead all souls to heaven, especially those in most need of thy mercy. Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Dominic Guzman, pray for us. Venerable Father Augustus told them, pray for us. St. Andrew, they like priests and companions. Martyrs, whose feast day it is, pray for us. So what are we talking about today? Well, the best part of having me on just once a week is that once I decide to comment on something, I've had like a long time to like argue with myself about it before I bring it to you. So what you get to miss out on is really me flushing all my thoughts down the toilet and all my reconsiderations, right? The downside of not hearing me every day is that you don't get to hear me apologize for telling you that I was wrong about something I said yesterday. <laughs> so today I get to tell you my fully processed uh, thoughts on, well, my, I guess my mature reflection on the whole Kyle Rittenhouse and Ahmad Aubrey verdicts. Right after that, our favorite newsman, Tito Edwards, will be on. Tell us what happened on November. After him, Finance Wednesdays begin with our favorite financial advisor, Kevin Pilon. The bishops have this document that they've updated last week. You know, we heard a lot about the Eucharistic document, but also they updated um, the document on um, the guidelines for investing. So we're going to, Kevin is going to walk us through that. How do the, the bishops invest their money? What's their principles? It's not really their money. It's our money, right? Well, you know, what's their principles? So to be part of this show, call in at 877-757-9424. Again, that's 877-757-9424. And Cecil will get you on. Cecil, how's it going? Oh my goodness. Am I on the David L. Gray show? You are. <laughs> <laughs> it's going well. That's good. Uh, I'm a little starstruck. <laughs> it's so good to hear your voice. I never heard you on the radio. I will always hear, I will, I'll hear you on um, Back to the Father on Fridays, but I don't think I ever heard you like on the radio. This is weird. There's a reason for that. No, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. So uh, what did you think about the new intro? I'm not going to lie. The first time I listened to it, I thought I had opened up a YouTube video or something on my computer and was playing like a Superman like uh, <laughs> introduction. I was like, what? And then I heard Donut and I was like, oh, no, that's David. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. Mike uh, Romano, he's what well, he did a voiceover. Oh, you, wonderful. Ever, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't even know what station he's out of, but yeah, that does pretty cool. Um, so Thanksgiving's tomorrow. It is. Yeah. What um, 
of all the things on the Thanksgiving table that may be there, what's the one thing that you are never going to like pick up and eat? Ooh, ooh, this is gonna get controversial real fast. Um, <laughs> let's see. I think the thing I'm least likely—I I like all Thanksgiving foods, but I think the thing mm. now, no, no one be too upset. But I think the thing I don't—I eat the least—is probably stuffing or uh, dressing, really? whatever you uh, would like to call it. Uh, it's not that I dislike it necessarily. I just think with all the other great foods going on. It, it's not the star of the show for me. So if if I didn't have yeah. all the other foods, I probably would enjoy it more. But I'm like, I gotta save room for the mashed potatoes and the green bean casserole. Um, so wow. for me, I also am not the biggest turkey fan, which is also quite controversial. Just pulling yeah, out that, all that, the stops now. That is <laughs> that is quite controversial. That's interesting, huh? So stuffing in turkey. Wow, that's I, I, I know that now that when you say it like that, stuffing in turkey, that's like half the meal. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, just, I'm yeah. really just there for the pie and the potatoes. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, my mine would definitely be. Um, you know, I, wrote, I read I read this book when I was 17. It was called Autobiography of Malcolm X. And so, of course, he's a Muslim, but I was, that was like the first like biography I read. And Malcolm X, he, he stopped eating pork. And so I stopped eating pork. You know, like okay, and I haven't even eaten it since I was 17. So I'm not eating the ham at Thanksgiving. What? But I'm also not eating the cranberries of any form. Not the sliced ah. ones. Not the jam ones. It's just I don't I don't understand cranberries. <laughs> Yeah, the cranberries are pretty controversial, I think. I think you either love them or you hate them. Would you, if you did eat it, like, does pe do people in your family eat them with turkey? Like, because some people I know right. were scandalized to hear that I would put cranberries on my turkey. No, I thought that's how you did it. Okay, no. good. Just, as long as we're on the same page on that. All right, so we do agree about that. All right. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> so Of course. <laughs> Hey, make sure you guys download the Guade Lupe Radio Network app so you can listen to the programming no matter where you are. And make sure you start off each day listening to the Catholic Drive Time Show with Joe McClain and Adrian Francesca on the ones and twos. And um, this Friday and every Friday at 2 p.m., hop on to GRN YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter accounts and watch Back to the Father. You'll appreciate the fact that uh, the theology of St. Thomas Aquinas has become just more relatable to you. And you'll get to see Sissel um, and what she's wearing as far as the hat goes. This is the David L. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is radio for your soul. So about the whole Kyle Rittenhouse verdict and the results of cries of joys and anger. I find that the O.J. Simpson trial in 1995, the Kyle Rittenhouse in Ahmaud Arbery trials of 2021. I, I find them to be demonstrably our best evidence in the world that the world, um, that God has died in the hearts of far too many. So why do I say that? Well, I will have to take you back to my junior year in college in 1995. It was October 3rd, and it was about 1 p.m. in the afternoon when I walked into what was called the commuter lounge. That's where students at the college I went to, if you were a commuter and you, or you did not live on campus, you could kind of hang out in this area in the student union, you know, wait there for your next class. So in there on that Tuesday afternoon, I did not immediately understand why all of my peers were celebrating O.J. Simpson being acquitted of murder. It was a weird feeling. 
watching all of the joy and the pride my peers were taking in something where people died. It seemed okay to acknowledge that a man had been found not guilty, right? But to celebrate it seemed very strange. And I, I didn't know why it felt strange to me. It seemed, it just didn't seem like a good response. Right? Soon thereafter, I did come to understand one thing <laughs> that from now on, from hereafter to be black in America, it meant that you had to celebrate this event. It became part of the tradition to rejoice the day OJ got off, to use his acquittal in the glove as some sort of mechanism to mock white supremacy. Despite the fact that heretofore, you know, the black community really didn't consider OJ to be black. Only later did I come to understand why the whole thing, OJ Simpson beating a murder rap, was considered a triumph over the historic grievance. That is, historically, it had been the case that if a black man were accused of murdering a white person, no matter what, the all-white jury was going to find him guilty and sentence him to death. If not, a mob would find him and lynch him. That's what's called the historical grievance that black Americans, we, we've been, we were raised to accept as the immutable truth. And O.J. Simpson finally overcame that historical grievance. A movable object had just moved an immovable object. It was like a Jackie Robinson event. Johnny Cochran was our hero. Worthy of more celebration than Martin Luther King Jr. All of us, all black people, were O.J. Simpson in that moment. We were assigned his victory as our own personal story. There would be other times where... I was assigned uh, the personal experience of another black person, which they overcame the historical grievance. Most nobly, Barack Obama, Barack Obama becoming president of the United States. I understood that one. But celebrating the triumph over the historical grievance in response to people dying, you know, it would never sit well with me. And neither did it sit well with me on November 19, 2021, when Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted of all charges related to what was clearly a case of self-defense. Here's something I need everyone to think about. Why? Why? How do we get to this point where largely white Americans of the conservative mind, some of them, at least a vocal percentage of them, seems to be having their own O.J. Simpson moment about a quarter century later. What has happened in society that has given white conservative Americans a historical grievance? I'll leave some space here for later commentary about how the masculine white Christian male has been so beat down and demonized over the past three centuries by Hollywood and government that Kyle Rittenhouse has given them an Obama 2008 moment. Now, if you think I'm being hyperbolic here, about the idolization of Rittenhouse, I would say that maybe you need to step back for a moment, close your eyes and open them back up again and see what's happening throughout the country. I won't be labored a point on this new phase of American history where the masculine white Christian male has developed a historical grievance. But I say, uh, I think it says a, a whole lot more. It says a whole lot more about media influence than it does about the masculine white Christian male. Here's another observation. I only grasp 
after talking to a relative who is near and dear to my heart. This relative was grieved in the historic grievance sense that black Americans um, carry with them about Cal Ridhouse being acquitted. This person openly mourned to me, asking me if things will ever get better for blacks. I noticed elderly relative of mine only watches liberal news and was clearly not aware that Cal Rittenhouse had only shot white men and that the men he shot were known ruffians and not the type of people you're going to have over for Thanksgiving dinner tomorrow or the people you want around your kids unattended. This relative thought it had happened again. A white man had killed a black man and was found not guilty by an all-white jury. And there was nothing we can do about it. Again, I say to you, if you think this relative of mine, who I love of every fiber of my being, is some sort of anomaly, I want you to step back for a moment, close your eyes, and open them back up again and see what's happening in this country. The media, the government, and social media should not have the power to create gods and devils and shame on everyone who accepts their gospel. I'll withdraw from this commentary and leave that thought there only to leave you with this. Now, as this post-Christian society reacts to um, the verdict found in the slain of Amar Aubrey, where three masculine white men were found guilty of murder in some degree, the job now of one mind in the media would be to make heroes. Um, well, it'd be to, I would say, to deify Ab Ahmaud Aubrey and to make devils out of his kill killers. While the job of another wing in the media would be to make heroes out of the killers and a demon out of Ahmad. Right. And we sort of saw this when it first happened. Ahmad is this bad guy. These guys are just doing a citizen's arrest, right? Gods and devils, that's all they're making. So together, these two minds in the media will inform us. Their next job is then to inform us how law and policy either saved us or how it needs to be changed to save us. Again, moving forward, the media is going to make gods and devils, and then it's going to tell us how the law can either, how it saved us in these instances, or how it needs to be changed to save us. The law is always salvific for these people. There's always some sort of soteriology when it comes to law. And your job as Christians is to reject their idols and to reject their gospel, reject their testimony that the law and politicians can save you because all they want to do is to suck you into, suck you into this drama and leave you dead. There is no life in what they're preaching and the only thing they're trying to do, their only objective here is to turn us into these six, six souls who want us to celebrate death and worship those who can save us through their policy and legislation. This insanity, this, the insanity of this world never ends. And it's pathetic to even have to comment on it. The cure to this, to every sickness in the world is the cross turn and run that way and by cooperating with God and his grace along the way you'll become holy 
and you may infect the world with your holiness. And that's all I know about that. This is David O. Gray Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Right after the break, newsman Tito Edwards will be back on the show. Tell us what happened on November. fighting the crowds, isn't it so much easier to hop online and do your shopping in the comfort of your own home? Did you know that you can help the Guadalupe Radio Network when you shop online? All you need to do is shop on Amazon Smile and 0.5% of your purchase goes to the GRN. Just go to AmazonSmile.com and select La Promesa Foundation as your nonprofit of choice. La Promesa is the parent company of Guadalupe Radio. It's that simple to give a little extra help to the Guadalupe Radio Network. The University of Dallas, a sponsor of the Guadalupe Radio Network, has produced a documentary-style miniseries called The Quest that recently aired on EWTN television and is now available to everyone at no charge. The Quest draws on scripture, history, and literature to explore the Christian life as a narrative of joyful courage in troubled times. Each of the five episodes can be viewed by visiting quest.udallas.edu. That's quest.udallas.edu. Welcome back in to David O'Grace Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Lupe Radio Network. Tito Edwards, welcome back on. Hi, thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Yeah, looking forward to um, you telling us about what happened on November. But before we get that, what do you what are you looking forward for um, tomorrow, Tito? Uh, for t- oh, you mean for news or to eat? <laughs> to eat. <laughs> to, uh, tur- turkey. Uh, all the good fixings that uh, everyone has. The stereotypical uh, cran- cranberry sauce, chicken, chicken, a turkey, um, all that good stuff. I was on the, I don't know if you heard the opening, but I was speaking with the producer, Sissel, and I was asking her, what of the things that's on the Thanksgiving table, what are... Of all things that are there, what won't you pick up and eat? Is there something that you cranberry. won't eat or the cranberry? You won't eat the cranberries. Okay, you're like me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't eat the cranberries either? No, I don't understand them. I don't I don't really know what it is. So I like cranberries off of a tree. I just don't know what that <laughs> sauce is. I don't and I don't know why it's in a can. So I don't <laughs> So what happened in November? What's was was some of the major news stories you thought? The big, I think, the biggest one was the Euchar- Eucharistic coherence. Uh, the doc, the Eucharistic, a document that was released by the USCCB, in and of itself. I've, and I'll be honest, I did not read the document, but from the reviews that I've read, it's it's a good document. It's nice. It's it's a state clearly states. Uh, everything that we need to know what the Eucharist is, basically Jesus um, Mm -hmm. and Thanksgiving. And uh, outside of that, the whole controversy is, of course, uh, all these politicians who claim to be devout Catholics that continue to push, promote, and rally for the promotion of uh, murdering children in the womb and 
and uh, like yourself, it sounds hyperbolic, but basically that's that's what it is. If you if you want to use euphemisms, the euphemism sophistry, sophistries are the devil, and uh, the euphemism is it's a woman's right to to uh, choose an abortion, and they're aborting a fetus. But right. you know, does anyone? I mean, they're never challenged because they never want to have a debate about it. What, what a fetus? What does a fetus turns into? I don't know, an ant, uh, a garden <laughs> plant? No, it's a human being. Yeah, exactly. But um, so basically, the, the that was the response. And uh, spec, there was specula wild speculation that they were going to name names and, and enforce Canon 915 and start, uh, I think it's Canon 915, and, and start excommunicating politicians. But that, that wasn't going to happen. Uh, in a realistic world, and then Pope Francis, of all things, uh, good Pope Francis. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to articulate what I want to say next without condemning <laughs> myself to, to, to for, forever purgatory until the return of Christ. <laughs> he gaslights uh, the, the bishops' conference by, uh, by having uh, Cardinal Mahoney read a statement uh more or less saying that uh it, the eucharist is 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 uh it, it's a personal aid to bring you closer to god and and that's not what it is yes uh, it does bring you personally closer to god but you need to be in a state of grace the saint paul says in Cor corinthians i believe i don't believe, i don't know the exact verse and, and number yeah chapter 13 yeah first corinthians 13. yeah yeah so uh so basically, my opinion, and this is only opinion, as I like to preface everything with my wife, is that uh, <laughs> you know the, the Eucharistic document is is yeah, it's nice, but why? What what has got what has happened to get to this point? And that is, there's a lack of catechesis. There, the parents, number one, the parents have dropped the ball uh, because of the primary educators of of the children. But number two. Uh, you go into high school and, you, and you're learning world re religion, uh, an agnostic and, and pretty dry course that doesn't say anything about the four last things, about why Jesus is here, uh, what we believe, uh, Jesus in the Eucharist, basically. So this, <clears throat> why can't we just talk about Jesus in the Eucharist and homilies? Why can't our religious education teachers or CCE educators start talking about Jesus in the Eucharist. Why this extra effort to have the, and, and I think it's a great idea to have a national Eucharistic con uh, Congress or whatever it's called, conference. Yeah. And and uh, the first one in 30 years, for by the way. Um, and, and then have all these committees and, and reflections, et cetera, et cetera. But what's going to happen, you know? People that practice their faith are more than likely are the ones who are going to be the participants. The ones right. that don't practice their faith and don't care, who vote for Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden and, and the rest of, of, of uh, the party of perdition, that this is – they're not going to participate. They're not going to go – I don't even think after the Chinese virus pandemic, none of them have returned to mass, Sunday mass. Mm. Uh, so – I don't see any of this working, and 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 I know uh, bringing it up in a homily and, and teaching it to our children in Sunday Sunday class or, or uh, in in Catholic schools is is uh, is going to help at minimum. But I think 
the ship has sailed. I don't believe any of this is going to be effective <clears throat> to one degree or another. I mean, I will be personally surprised if it affects one to three percent of the U.S. population that that uh, that are Catholic. So, yeah, uh, it's great um, that the Eucharistic document has come out, but it's it's not going to it won't do anything. We're, we're still going to have a Joe Biden. We're still going to have a Nancy Pelosi, the next generation. If they're even going to proclaim themselves to be Catholic at all, the, the Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi are products of faithful, devout Catholics. They run through their motions, and, and they got uh, influence uh, by uh, heretical, uh, again, I, can't, I need to be careful here, by certain teachers that have given them the license to, to go ahead and, and, and you know, personally, I oppose abortion, but publicly, I need to, you know, push for women's rights kind of thing. So, yeah, I, that's a long, gas-winded uh, answer to what November is. There were other things in November. I can't recall at this moment, but <laughs> but that, that was the big one. That was a big one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it, 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 and I'm like, I'm with you. The, the document itself in of itself is a beautiful document, you know, um, is the unfortunate aspect of it, that it was, it was presented to be as a document in response to the sacrilege going on with people receiving Holy Eucharist unworthily. Most importantly, um, the president of the United States who calls himself a faithful Catholic carries a rosary around, um, and so it just makes it hard, I think, and I like your point about education and catechesis, but doesn't it make it hard to teach the faith, especially when we get to that part about the sacraments of the Holy Eucharist and worthy re reception, to teach your students, either in RCAA or, in, uh, or, or PSR or somewhere in some sort of Catholic curriculum, you get to that part where you say, well, um, to receive Holy Eucharist worthily, you cannot be attached to any grave sin. If so, you need to go to confession first to be absolved of your sin, and then you 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 then then present yourself for receive Holy Communion. When you get to that part to teach the faith, I mean, you just sound like a hypocrite, right? Yes, yeah, you you do, especially if if everyone around you doesn't practice it at all, and and you see the pews empty during communion, and all go up, rise up, and receive Jesus in the Holy Sacrament. It's 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 hypocritical it it doesn't um it doesn't bode well <clears throat> i i believe i think uh we need like this program here like what i'm doing with the blogging what uh the parish priest what uh the diligent bishop is doing uh i'm speaking in general to uh continue fighting the good fight and trust in God. I, I, at this moment, I don't know what it can be done about current politicians. I, I mean, I know what can be done with current politicians, but I'm not the bishop. I am not the <laughs> bishop of Delaware. I am not the bishop of San Francisco. I know right. fully well what I would do. Right. I, I probably would create a, a, a firestorm around me, but you know that it's just words in social media. St. Ignatius of Antioch was executed in a public crowd. All the martyrs of the first three centuries were had to face uh, ridicule and disdain from everyone around them and then went to their death. 
Mm-hmm. What are we afraid of? And what did you what, what did you think of Bishop? Of? We're um, afraid of being what? What did you think of Bishop Strickland's tweet when he says um he's he offers this confession about um you know he's sorry for his weakness is that he's not the strong bishop to really you know he's apologizing for not being as strong and bold enough to defend the faith and to speak about unworthy reception of whole, whole Eucharist from Joe Biden. And what would you think about that? Because I think that's what you're saying. Yeah, you have some bishops who are interested in defending the faith and who want to care about the souls of people like Joe Biden um, so that they don't go to hell for sacrilege against Christ Jesus. So you have some. But what yes. was, um, Strickland was saying is that, you know, he felt like he was he's not strong enough. So what did you think about that that tweet of his? Uh, well, it's it's impressive I, I, to be humble, but it's hard to I haven't heard of that and and uh, knowing the very little that I know of Bishop Strickland, he's uh, one of the rare ones. And mm-hmm. I wish he was in San Francisco or Delaware. I wish he was in Washington DC <laughs> or New York City. Yeah, uh, you know, but uh, that, that's impressive. <clears throat> he has the humility to admit that maybe he he needs to do more, which is yeah. good. And he's done a lot more than most bishops have uh, in this time and place and in our lifetimes. And yeah. so for him to do that, I think it, it's it's good. It's healthy. It's it's a witness to 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 the faith, and uh, we need to put his feet to the fire to to see what what's going to be done i mean everything so i've known him before he got popular on twitter and he's a solid good bishop it's like the bishop of santa rosa bishop vasa that's mm-hmm. another good one all these good and great bishops they're in small par- uh, dioceses uh, mm-hmm. around the country and in tyler i don't know who the representative is from tyler but uh, but it's not a Democrat or, or a moderate Republican, that's for sure. That That's a conservative part of Texas. Okay. So he's not faced with the same situation as Archbishop Cordelione or um, uh, Dolan and, right. and, and whoever that guy is in Delaware, the new bishop. Yeah, yeah that's <clears> a good point. When the politicians are parading around the country, um, we, we don't really expect Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden to stop in Tyler to go to mass. That, that's a good point. No. We're speaking with Tito Edwards. He's our newsman. You can find his work in him primarily at Big Pulpit. That's the jumping off pit points. That's B-I-G pulpit.com. Make sure you get there to get your daily intake of news. And he has he runs an awesome aggregate aggregate there. So make sure you get there. Tito, what are you looking for before we head before we head out? Um, we're gonna bring um Next, we're going to bring Kevin Pilon on to talk finance with us. But before we head out, what uh, what are you looking forward to in December? Any are there any stories that's that's brewing up that you see that we should be paying attention to? Uh, look to see a lot of uh, <clears throat> Vaticanistas, reporters in the Vatican, talking about pop, Papa Bile, Papa Bule. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. And what that means is uh, trying to think who may be the next pope. In the upcoming uh, conclave, everybody's—it's been—it started here with Ed Penton uh, right before the summer, and now I see some uh, Sandro Magister 
out of Rome is doing, uh, out of Italy is doing that. So there's going to be a lot of chatter uh, along those lines. Um, I, I don't want, yeah, I don't want to leave anyone uh, with, a, with a sour taste in their mouth. But uh, uh, so with this, Advent's coming up. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> it's a great time to prepare yourself for the arrival of Jesus. And yeah. it's a great time to, uh, to start fasting, think what you want to do. And I can tell you from personal experience, it only enriches your faith. Right. But yeah, as far as, <laughs> as, far as uh, what to expect in December, yeah, a lot of chatter about who will, who will be the next pope. And this has no bearing on Pope Francis as far as his health. It has nothing to do with his health. It's just he's getting up there. And, yeah. and, and we continue to pray for uh, Pope Francis. Thanks, Tito. We look forward to seeing those um, those um, links on Big Pulpit helping us get through Lent. Thanks for coming back on the David O. Gray Show. Thank you, David. Have a uh, happy Thanksgiving. Yes, sir. That's all we know about that. Uh, right after the break, our favorite financial advisor, Kevin Pilon from Thrivent, will be back on the show to talk to us about the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops update to their document on socially responsible investment guidelines. This is David O'Gracial, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Next week, we will be hosting our quarterly share on Tuesday through Friday from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. Central Time. The GRN is 100% listener-supported, and for only 16 days out of the year, you have the opportunity to be an active part of the GRN family by making a pledge of support for your radio station. Please pray for the success of the share we are so very thankful that you are part of the Lord's divine providence, sharing of your prayers and financial gifts, which sustain the work of evangelization through the powerful means of radio. I invite you to tune in and join us next week as we share how Catholic Radio has changed so many lives for all eternity due to your support to keep your station on the air. This is Len Oswald, president of the Guadalupe Radio Network, with your GRN Family Minute. We are your Catholic Radio radio for your soul. Welcome back in to the David O. Grace Show, voicing truth and reason on the Guadalupe Radio Network, which is Radio for Your Soul. Our favorite financial advisor from Thrivent is back on the show. Kevin Pilon, how you doing? Good to speak with you, sir. How are you doing on this fine Wednesday? Doing well, man. Um, tomorrow is Thanksgiving. I've been asking um, producer Sisso and all the guests, what on your Thanksgiving table are you not going to eat? If, of all things that you see there, is there something that <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass on that? So far, I'll give you the count here. So um, for Sisso, it was it may surprise you. It was um, turkey and dressing. And I know you're okay. like, what? Wow. How is that possible? Uh, <laughs> but uh, so we had a good time talking about that. And for uh, Tito and I, it's cranberries. Oh, so. cranberries. Yes, it's a love-hate kind of thing <laughs> with cranberries, especially when it comes out of a can and is the shape of a can. What is that? <laughs> yeah, is that is there cranberry in there? I'm not sure. <laughs> I think there's more cow hoof in there than cranberry. <laughs> definitely i i tease i tease but uh you know david mine is actually going to be mashed potatoes 
and um it's well the reason is weird the reason is weird it's because i have a hard time swallowing mashed potatoes there's something about the texture it takes me forever (laughs) to eat mashed potatoes so rather than sit there and try to eat a pile of mashed potatoes for half an hour i just eat everything else (laughs) so i don't know there's that is very interesting that you really can't process digest or you can't really get the mashed potatoes down that's wow it's 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 always been that way, and it's just something with the texture. I have a really hard time. I have to just drink a bunch of water when I'm eating mashed wow. potatoes. Yeah, yeah. I really uh, appreciate you telling me that because mashed potatoes is one of the thing that I can I can make better than other foods, and so I'm really good. I really have a, na- a good mashed potato um, recipe maybe? that I use. I got. I used to be a short order cook. Uh, oh, years nice. Ago. So maybe I've just yeah. never had the right mashed potatoes. Maybe someday I'll have to try yours and it'll cure all of my mashed potato woes. If not, I have a Heimlich maneuver for you. So we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, said. So, well said. So yeah, we're, we're speaking with Kevin Pilon. He's a financial advisor at Thrivent. He comes on the show typically at the end of every month to, to help us and guide us through um, finances and what's going on in the, in the, the economy if you want to find out more about him, you can just type in his name in Google. That's one way. Kevin Pilon, that's P-I-L-O-N. Also, we'll have links to where to find him on our live stream. So you can check him out there. And Kevin, I was surprised. So I was at the United States Catholic Conference of, Conference of Catholic Bishops in Baltimore. I think that was last week. And so a lot of things were going on, you know, you know, one of the big documents that the bishops, you know, focus a lot of focus on was the document on Eucharistic coherence. Right. Yes. But yep. also they voted on other things. And there was this update to a document they have that guides them in their investments and called socially responsible investment guidelines. So I had never known about this and I sent it to you and you knew all about it. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, tell us, tell us what mm-hmm. this is and, um, I know it's primarily for the bishop's investments, but is there some things here that can help us? So walk us through this. Yeah, you know, it's it's a big deal, and it motivates me a lot in, in the work that I do, David, because, you know, as we've talked about on previous episodes, we have a responsibility to be good stewards of the gifts that God has given us, and that includes financially. And a number of years ago, the bishops wrote up a policy statement is what they call the document. It's basically an investment policy statement on how to proclaim the gospel in the midst of a powerful and complex economy that we find ourselves in. We have the most complex economy in the history of the world. And with that in mind, they wrote this document. They've made a number of revisions. And you're right. It's primarily designed as a policy statement for them and how they govern. So how they are handling their uh, endowments at their diocesan levels, how they're handling, you know, gifts of investments that are coming in their way, how they're handling, um, you know, the guidance for their pastors and church and so it trickles all the way down. The repercussions are huge. And as a body, they have a ton of sway economically, as Mm. they should, as our church should. They have a ton of sway economically in how things are done um, in the financial world. So, um, this document is about 25 pages long, their policy statement, and uh, it breaks things down really clean into paragraphs. If those of you who are interested, I really encourage you to just search the USCCB investment policy statement online. You can look at it. You can read parts of it. You can read all of it. Um, 
So let me just give uh, a couple definitions here, David. So first, they mention uh, securities. So not like me being secure or security, but what is a security in the, the nature of the document? A security is basically something you can invest in that you can't hold with uh, your hand per se. You know, think okay. about uh, a stock, a bond, a mutual fund, um, you know, cryptocurrency, you know, uh, all those kinds of things. So a security is basically uh, for just very simple terms, an investment, something you can invest in. So they talk about that. And, you know, in our tangled web of an economy, it can make it almost impossible to know all the effects of if I invest in a company or I invest in a mutual fund or I buy a security on an exchange or on a brokerage app, it can be pretty much impossible to know all the effects. And so what they do is they outline uh, some starting principles, including two principles of stewardship. Uh, as my voice cracks there, that guide <laughs> socially responsible investing. Okay. And then what they do, David, is they break it down into five specific investment policies that they will incorporate. And what you have is you have parishes then are able to look at this document, diocesan finance councils are able to look at this document and see what are the bishops guiding us and what are they saying? And okay. how can we then construct our own diocese investment policy statements, our own church investment policy statements. If you work for a church and your church does not have an investment policy statement, you need to call me because that is something that every church should have on the books, even if you don't have investments. Um, it's very really important because it's what's going to guide future finance councils for your church or your diocese when you're not on that board or on that group anymore. It's how you can move forward and have continuity as members are coming and going, as your pastor gets switched. You have yeah. guiding documents on how to be good stewards of your investment. And they aren't yours anyways. They're, they're God's. So, <laughs> right. so, yeah, so, David, there's a lot uh, unpacking to do in the document. Uh, I've read through the entire thing um, and parts of it more than once. Um, I don't know if you had a chance to check out any, were there any highlights of it that, that stuck out to you or did you have a chance to, to look at it at all? Yeah. Um, and we're speaking with Kevin Pilon. He is a financial advisor with Thrivent. Um, make sure you look him up. Like he said, if your church is looking for investment strategies, or doesn't have one or some sort of guiding principles to help you also, you know, also just, just individually. Well, yeah. What I liked about this document, um, Kevin, just, it was well laid out. First of all, it hit yeah. key points of things. They make this points overall of just avoid harm, right? Don't do basically. Yeah, don't do no do harm. Evil. Yeah, do no harm with your evil. Uh, what What did you What did you think about that? Is that a good guiding principle? I know they break it down further. You know, abortion and discrimination and you know things like that. But is that mm -hmm. just something that that principle itself is that is that why is that important? Yeah, I think um, it's it's incredibly important because at the very least, what we're trying to do is say, um, in a very complex economic environment, how can I do my part so that I'm not contributing directly to um, the violation of any of the principles of, you know, Catholic socially responsible investing? And those five principles that they lay out, kind of towards the beginning of the document, they're protecting human life promoting human dignity, uh, enhancing the common good, 
pursuing economic justice and then saving our global common home. So these are the, the five uh, guiding specific investment policies that they then go through in detail. Like you said, they, they break down uh, investments that they need to avoid and how they will do so. So if they are invested in a company that's directly involved in abortion or euthanasia or human cloning or pornography or selling addictive substances, um, then they will divest. They'll get out of those companies with their investments and move to companies that follow those principles. Um, they also then give the positive side of each principle where they say, rather than just moving away from bad investments, we will, through lobbying, through dialogue, because they have a ton of sway, they will um, speak with the financial authorities on enacting positive change on that front. So I think that's one thing that the document does really well, David. Um, it has these five investment policies broken out really nice. I very much like that. I very much like how clearly they break down the kind of these non-negotiables, right? Like the abortion, yeah. euthanasia, all that stuff. And um, they really make it clear for people, uh, you know, things that we should be thinking about. Um, some of the some of the topics, there is some gray area involved and some there just isn't any gray area. And so it's kind of um, nice to see that nuance in there. And I noticed that the, the purpose for the update was they wanted to incorporate into their guidelines. Um, Pope Francis has been hammering home um, sins against the environment. Right. Um, mm -hmm. God mm -hmm. gave us this creation. Uh, we should take care of it for future generations. Um, of course, I think there there's some disagreement we can have about, you know, what does that what does that look like? But every Christian, I think, should respect that God gave us his creation. So we should protect it uh, for future generations. We shouldn't harm the gift that was given to us. Um, how that's worked out, you know, of course, we can, you know, argue about that. But we should um, have these conversations. And they included that protecting environment in, into this. And as a financial professional, is that something you think about when you're speaking to your Catholic clients? Because uh, we, 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 I think it's clear, you know, we shouldn't invest in um, the corporation porn hub. I think everyone should agree on that pretty easy, right? We should not leave money to Planned Parenthood. Pretty easy, right? <laughs> I, it's, yeah. it's so obvious. But what about the environment? What, what does that even look like? Yeah, and let me let me answer this in two parts to back up half a step. You know, yeah, we all agree. Okay, we don't want to invest in in Pornhub. Um, however, most of us, many of us, are investing in our work retirement plans hmm. that are invested in LifePath or uh, Target Date funds, which include those kinds of companies. And so oh, there wow. are, there are some instances where you don't really have a choice. Um, if you're going to be contributing to work plan, sometimes they have options that are outside of that. Um, I encourage all my Catholic clients um, to have those conversations. Uh, and we talk through those together because, you know, one of the things that I'm very proud of doing is helping Catholics invest um, in Catholic responsible uh, investment portfolios. That's huge, you know, to know that your investments line up with your faith. Um, and insofar as it's possible, you know, when we have the ability to roll funds out of work plans and into our own names, things like that, that can be so important um, at certain key milestones along our lives where we have the opportunity to then uh, put our money where our mouth is and have our investments line up with our with our faith. Um, when it comes to the environment, 
it is it is something that is becoming increasingly complex because what you have going on, David, is you have uh, Catholic social teaching overlapping as it should with secular ESG investing. And this is a really popular thing. If you you know go on investment sites, ESG just stands for environmental, social, and governance. Okay. So investors are flocking and flying to secular ESG funds, ESG portfolios. And these ESG funds largely are being run by the huge big players in the economy, the, the biggest investment firms, you know, the biggest investment banks. So there's overlap there, especially when it comes to the environment. Here's my problem. One of my problems with the document as it sits right now, and I would call it one of the bads, mm-hmm. it's that there are some areas where Catholic social teaching is at complete odds with major principles right now of ESG investing so on the secular side. Okay. So you have ESG investment firms, you have Catholic social teaching, there's some overlap, but there's also some things that are like two positive magnets going against each other. And so mm. you might have a, an advertisement for an ESG fund uh, that you just see on the internet and it's from some you know, uh, you know, big investment firm. And when it comes to some of their principles and what their boards are voting for and lobbying for at the political level, it's the exact opposite of what the USCCB is saying in the document as far as social issues. So we land on the opposite side of some social issues as the ESG funds themselves. And so Catholic investors can find themselves in a, in a weird between a rock and a hard place. And that's really something that can be addressed and can be improved. And, and ultimately, I think um, morally responsible investors can have it both ways. They can have investments that give them a reasonable return, that accomplish their goals, that screen out um, these major issues that are hurting society, that promote the common good um, as the Catholic church as we would understand it it's it is out there um yeah. it's not just going to happen passively you know you have to you have to kind of sit up in your chair and you have to you know take a look at these things yeah it seems to take a little bit more more work than just hopping into some of these these preset funds and things like that so it does of, it does yeah oh go ahead sorry oh yeah speaking of kevin pila he is a financial advisor with thrive it um if you have a more spe- uh, specific question please reach out to Kevin, we listed his information on the live stream um, comment boxes. And also, you can just type in his name in Google, in the Google or your search engine that you prefer. It's Kevin Pilon. That's last name is spelled P-I-L-O-N. And if you have, we still have a little bit of time left in the show. If you want to call in, please do and ask a question. That's 877-757-9424. That's 877-757-9424. And Cecil will get you on. And I was reading this article, Kevin, and came out today, and it was talking about how in Cleveland, a federal judge had found that CVS, Walgreens, and Walmart perpetuated the opioid crisis. Um, so somehow, you know, in Ohio, it was a big deal. 
how um, the opioids um, have really destroyed so many communities in Southern Ohio. And this is a story throughout yeah. the United States, obviously. Yes. But so investors, Catholic investors or Catholic churches or dioceses, trying to do the right thing, trying to do good, avoid evil, um, even more on an individual level. They see it as a company that they had been investing in. They thought it was a good thing. And then they see something bad. What's the instant react? Is the, uh, the instant reaction maybe just be to just go, if you have control of it, just go pull out your money, right? Or or send it to another place. What do, what do, what do, what is your advice when we think we have a good investment? It's a good company, and then they do something completely worldly. What do you, what do you advise? Yeah, the um, the advice that I give to people is to find a solution that creates the least financial strain or loss uh, that we can reasonably expect. And the document actually reflects that. Um, they talk about when they come up to a similar type of situation and they use this term divest, you know, get out of an investment to move into a different investment. That's always something that should be done with care. Um, when I'm doing that with clients, it always involves um, tax um, analysis, you know, with their tax advisor and saying, okay, what's the tax impact of this change going to look like for them? Um, because that can be a huge impact on people. And, you know, when it comes to some of the, like that uh, pharmaceutical company instance you just outlined, um, there are, when you're working with um, an investment firm that's able to do it, um, you're able to screen out those kinds of companies or move out of them strategically over time, okay. you know, as possible. So let's say um, you have a, a, a lot of investment in those companies, um, rather than just cut and run, you mess up your taxes, you the market might be down, all of these things might be going on, you can do it over time. And the church allows for that. The document is very clear about allowing for that. Um, we want to be making wise decisions for our families and be making wise decisions for the long term with our investments, too. But I always advise against knee jerk reactions because mm. those almost never end up as a good result. <laughs> never do. <laughs> I remember early this year, I had, you know, a nice bit of money in Ford. And it wasn't really, you know, it was going up and down. And then I took it out and did something else. Next thing you know, I, I just read, I think last week, um, I think back then for um, is that motor company was like $9 and now it's at 20. And I'm like, oh, man, David, come on. So <laughs> <laughs> come on, man. Uh, uh -huh. Colin on the YouTube had a question for you, Kevin. And Lucy, Lucy as well. I'll try to get the both of them. We have about three minutes left. Um, Kevin, what's your thoughts of a mid-aged person starting a 401k, especially if they never had one before? Maybe earning 55000 a year, I guess that's the salary. Is it worth sure. it if the company is just matching half? I know you don't have a whole lot of information there, but what's your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, and my thought, let me just give you a few quick principles. Um, some of it is is cookie cutter. So the best day to invest was yesterday. But the <laughs> second best day to invest is today. Okay. So uh, by and large, 
you know, I can't provide specific advice, you know, to your situation. Uh, if you gave me a call, we could talk about it specifically. But what I can say generally, it is always a good thing for you to start investing in a 401k, especially if you have a match. So let's say they match your first 5% of your salary that you put into a 401k. Think about this. If your rate of return is zero, that is 100% rate of return on your investment as long as you do it because it's doubling your money every time you put it in for that 5%. Mm -hmm. So when there's match money, it's free money that your, your employer will put in for you to grow that investment for you. Um, there's nowhere in the market you can guarantee 100% rate of return or a 50% rate of return or any rate of return can be guaranteed ultimately. So yes, uh, generally, yes, great thing to do. Even if you're middle age, even if you only have five years to retirement, yeah, sounds like yeah, sounds like free money. That's one. Um, we got yeah. about thirty seconds, um, maybe less than that. After I read this, Kevin, I'm hearing from so many people they think the stock market is going to crash. What's your opinion on this? Uh, if people are saying they think it's going to crash, you have to remember that at some point they will always be right because on average the market goes up for about five and a <laughs> half years and goes down for about one and a quarter. The market cycles. We're on a long cycle right now, yeah. but nobody knows when it will cycle down again. Awesome. Kevin, before we head out, Brad's mom, who you know, says, hey, hey, it's Kevin. Hey, Kevin. Brad's mom. <laughs> Kevin Pilon, thanks for coming back on the David L. Gray Show. We always appreciate you. We'll see you next month. Have a happy Thanksgiving, sir. Happy Thanksgiving. See you next month, man. Yes, sir. And thanks for tuning in. I'll be back same time next week, same place. Oh, actually, I won't. Next week is a recorded show. No, it's not a show at all because we're doing a winter share So make sure you tune in for that. The winter share Make sure you support your local radio network. In between time, you can visit me online at davidlgray.info. But until then and until next time, remember that Jesus loves you. Jesus is there for you. And live your life like salvation matters. And live your life like salvation matters. And may the abundance of the Lord's blessings and graces and favors fall upon you and yours. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, Cecil, guess what? Hey, Dave, what's up? What's up? Are you okay? I think I ate too much turkey.